Welcome to my podcast, Kamsi J. Kamsi J, the podcast title, is an Igbo phrase that literally means the road I've traveled. And that is what this podcast is about. My name is Kemjika, and I'm a Nigerian currently living in British Columbia, Canada. I moved to Canada 10 years ago from Nigeria, and over the past 10 years, I've gone through different phases of adjustment. Along the way, I lost myself, my voice, and my authenticity. I've now begun to reconnect with my true self and embrace every bit of me. On this podcast, I'll be sharing parts of my life story as I explore various topics related to real life, from love and relationships to immigration and race. New episodes will be released twice a month, and as much as I love to talk, I promise to keep them short and sweet. Please reach out to me with your stories, comments, or questions via email at camcj at gmail.com. That's K-A-M-S-I-J-E at gmail.com. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Please listen, like, subscribe, and share. Now grab a cup of something, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cam CJ. On today's episode, I will be sharing on a topic that has come up a lot in my recent conversations over the past couple of weeks. And this topic is things to discuss before committing to marriage with your partner. I got married at 28 and my sisters and I prior to that never talked about marriage and relationships the way we do now. They never really told me like, oh, I wish I had known this or I wish I had done this before I got married. Um, they never really said, oh, when it's your time, you should look out for this or think about this. Or for some reason, I guess maybe because they just thought I was too young and they knew that marriage just wasn't really something I talked about or really, I don't want to say cared about, but it just wasn't something that I sat down like yearning for, pining for. I I loved the companionship of, uh, obviously I love to be in a good relationship and enjoy the companionship of a romantic partner. But I think marriage was just something that even when I thought about it in the past, it was something that I just held, I took so seriously that I knew if I did it once, I didn't want to have to do it again. I also knew that it wasn't something I wanted to regret. It's such a big decision that the way I thought at the time was just, I would rather not do it than do it the wrong way or make a mistake, that kind of thing. But anyway... That conversation never came up with my sisters or my friends, really. And so I knew that I had non-negotiables, which I'll talk about in this separate episode. But I didn't have like specific questions I was going to ask or to bring up with a romantic partner before we started to think about getting married. In my 20s, I dated quite a bit and... I can't say I ever had a type. So I met all sorts of people and through these experiences, I kind of figured out what I wanted in a life partner. 
and what I didn't want. I think I always knew what I didn't want. But what I wanted only became clearer as I dated different people. So I would see like, oh, hmm, I like this about this person, but this I cannot stand and I'm not going to take it. And so, yeah, it was experience really that taught me and helped me form what became an expectation or a standard. But I must say, I'm truly blessed to have ended up with my life partner, Nathan. I married him because he was kind, considerate, and he made me laugh so much that I cried. He, he was just, he's such a sweet, sweet person. And he is, falling in love with him was not difficult at all. It was to know him truly was just to, to love him. And it was even made better for me or easier for me when I met his family. And I, I just saw how loving and open and receptive that they were. I had prior to that dated a guy whose family was so condescending to me that I just, I knew I wasn't ready to deal with that. If somebody's family wasn't nice to me or just like they weren't generally just good people I wasn't going to get into that it just wasn't worth it for me something else I learned by experience so anyway so I'm just grateful that I ended up with him he's not self-seeking so he would always think about what is good for me and how is this going to make me feel and if this is fair, if this is considerate, if this, so he is in general, and it wasn't just to me, in general, he is a fair person. He is somebody who truly cares about people. So, okay, this is not a plug about, this is, this is not about him or this is not about us, our marriage or anything. I'm just giving an example, using me as an example, using our relationship as an example. So back to our topic, I'm going to tell you five things that come to mind when I think about conversations that couples should have before they commit to marriage faith so are you practicing a faith or not are your kids going to practice that faith if you're practicing different faith so for us in our case i'm christian and nath at the time that we met was not it was atheist and then he's grown older and more sensible. And so now he is agnostic. But even though we had that difference in faith, again, it comes down to the kind of person. He is a kind person. He's respectful. He is considerate. He knew from the beginning how important my faith was to me. I am respectful of him. And I try to be considerate of that as well. And so I don't, the conversation we had was I, I explained to him how important it is for me to have my children come to church. He did not have, a, he doesn't have any issues with that. He is very passionate about science and that type of thing, logic. And, you know, he, I have no problem with him exposing my kids to the wonders of science because I don't think that that's a bad thing. So we had that conversation about faith and I was committed to keep practicing my faith 
and he was okay for our kid to join me, our potential kids. Now we have two, but then we didn't have any kids. But I think this is a very, very important conversation for couples to have because life happens and things change. So in my case, I was going to church. I've always gone to church, but I didn't have the kind of intimate relationship I have with God now back then. And so I was okay to like, oh, have a lazy day in bed and not go to church. Or like if we were, say, at his parents' house, I wouldn't think like, oh, I would like to go to Christmas Eve service. So I want to go to any kind of Christmas service or church in general. It just wasn't something that I was going to go out of my way to do. But now I've grown older and that has changed So I'm glad that we had that conversation. And so watching me grow and seeing how this is important to me, is an important part of my life, is something that he just respects and doesn't interfere with. However, I can see how if he was a different kind of person, I can see how this can be a problem, especially when there are kids involved and say uh, mom or dad, whoever it is that has the faith, wants to take them for services or mass or to the mosque or whatever it is whatever religion it is and then the other partner is thinking no I don't want you to do that that could be a big issue in a marriage so I'm going to go on to number two number two on this list is money how do you spend money how do you save money how do you file your taxes are you going to file together or are you going to file separately How do you manage your day-to-day expenses that come up with regards to running the home or if you have kids, taking care of your kids, daycare, food, activities, if you have a mortgage or rent, your utilities, all those kind of things that are shared costs. How do you manage that? Is it going to be one person's responsibility or are you going to say like, okay, who makes more pays more? Or are you just going to have a joint account and just everyone puts their money in there and then somebody is managing it? And if yes, then who's going to be the person managing that? I think that's a very, very crucial conversation to have. It's such a big thing that research says that money is one of the biggest reasons that couples end up in divorce and marriages just come to a halt because the way money is managed in a home can lead to satisfaction or resentment. And if it is resentment, it could build and build and build until it explodes into something else. So this is not me advising you. I have no advice regarding this. But for us, what has worked is together and yet separate. So what I mean is we have a list of all the household expenses that come up, you know, month after month. And we break that down, assign things to each other. So, okay, you are going to take care of this. You're going to take care of that. And then we assign how much we're going to save each month and how much goes to things like credit card or like student loan, that kind of thing. We assign that cost as well and then we have liberty to use 
whatever is left of our paycheck, however we want to use it. And I, I think this really works well because I think people just, you want to feel like you are in control of your money to an extent because we work really hard. And when you work hard and you make money, it's nice to be able to buy something nice for yourself or to be able to do something for yourself without seeking permission. And don't get me wrong, there's still big purchases that we both have to check in before we buy. There's some purchases that we have to talk about. But for example, I just found out last week how much a Nintendo game costs and I almost lost my mind. I'm so glad I didn't know all this time because I would have just been like poking my nose in that and saying, no, you're not buying another game this month or you're not doing. I don't know. How, I didn't know how much it costs. And I found out that we have quite a few of those games. And so, yeah, my husband has been spending money on Nintendo games to enjoy with his friends and his son. The reason that didn't bother me too much is I just like I was I was a bit dramatic when I found out because I was like, what? For one game? Like, why does it have to be so expensive? What, why can't you share with somebody? Like, why can't somebody else buy the game? Or And then you guys just kind of share it. Apparently, it doesn't work that way. But what do I know? Anyway, the reason that doesn't bother me is because he's not spending from our common pot. He's not spending the money that should be going to something for my kids or something for us as a family. He's spending his money after all the obligations are met. I think that is very important. But then again, it just kind of speaks to the way our relationship works. Uh, I'm going to steal a quote from uh, Helio Gibran. Gibran? I don't know how to say his last name. But anyway, he says, let there be spaces in your togetherness. We have a very closely knit relationship. We're very close. But in that closeness, there are spaces. There are spaces in our togetherness. He has his hobbies that he does on his time with his friends. And I have the things that I do on my time with my friends. And those things are very different. I don't play video games. I just it just doesn't interest me. I might indulge them maybe once every year and get try and get into it and just play for a little bit, but it's not something that that I really care about or derive any sort of joy doing. But he gets to do that and that's his thing. He books the time in a weekend, during the weekend, or maybe a random evening during the week. And he says, like, do you need me to do anything before this? Because I will be doing this at this time. And so that works because, you know, it's his time. He works really hard. So if he wants to play, I shouldn't stand in the way of that. And vice versa, if I have things I want to do, if I want to go and like I go to visit my best friend and what should be like, oh, I'm just going to drop something off turns out to be like two hours or even more where I'm gone. And his only check-in is, you're still there, right? Um, yes, I am. 
And that's it. And he respects that. I'm never going to come home and have him say, oh, where have you been? You walked away. You went and you left the kids. I don't know why I'm using that voice, but yeah, there's none of that. And then I'm going to go on to my third thing on the list is parenting. Parenting. So are we going to have kids? How many kids are we going to have? How are we going to discipline our kids? And how are we going to manage decisions regarding our kids when our views conflict? Discipline, I think, is a really big one. There are people who overdo it, who actually maybe hit their kids or smack them or punish them, really, like deprive this and deprive that, send them to bed. Really extreme things. And then there are some people on the other side who just don't do anything and they just kind of let their kids do whatever they want to do and get away with whatever because they feel, oh, they're just kids or I don't want to do this. This is not whatever. That's their style. They're just different strokes for different folks. But if you're going to be spending your life with somebody and making children with this person, then it's very important to talk about your views on parenting how you see discipline. And it's also a very good time, I think, to explore each other's pasts. Like when you were, being, when you, when you were kids, how did your parents raise you? What was your parents' form of discipline? Is that something you want to carry on with your kids? Is that something you're like, for me, it's absolute no. My parents were, well, I shouldn't say my mom. My mom was not. My mom never hit me. But my dad was extreme and I knew I do not want to raise my kids that way. No way. So my husband, on the other hand, his parents had a very good balance when it came to discipline. And I see him reflect a lot of what he's learned growing up. And I have no problem with that. In fact, I find his methods so effective that it just drives me nuts. It makes me so jealous sometimes because I wish I, I, wish I was that way. I had to actually pay for a parenting course because I wanted to learn how to deal with my children, how to foster the relationship I have with them, foster their personalities and character. Like I just didn't want to break my kids by always making them maybe do what I want them to do. And I still wanted to be able to discipline them and of course raise sensible, well-adjusted kids. So I had to pay to learn that. And every time I'm going through the material or going into the toolbox to look for some help to deal with a particular issue, I find that the methods my husband is applying are exactly the things in the book. And it just like, it makes me so annoyed because I'm like, he does, he's never even read this book. He thinks that my taking this course is just like, I don't want to use the word that he used, but it's like BS. And he doesn't know why I'm stressed about it. He doesn't know why I'm so worried. But the reason I am this worried is because of my history and my background. I don't want to repeat. I don't want to say mistakes, but I don't want to repeat the cycle. I want it to end with me and I want my kids to be raised a certain way. And it doesn't come naturally to me. And so I am well aware of that and I am seeking help, hence the parenting course. So yeah, so have, make sure you have that conversation, talk about it, even piercing your daughter's ears. 
Are you for that or are you against that? Circumcising your sons, are you for that or are you against it? Are you going to let your kids cry out to sleep at night or are you going to have them sleep in your bed and naturally progress into their own beds at whatever age, at whatever stage they decide? That kind of thing is something that I think is very important to to talk about. For us, for our kids, we both cherish our time together and our time alone. And so we worked really well together to sleep train our kids early enough and have them sleeping independently. I have a six-year-old who's going to be seven this year. He still comes into our bed every once in a while. I have no problems with that. We let them do that sometimes and sometimes we send them away. But it's just the forming of the habits, especially when you're a new parent who is trying to just get some sleep and some semblance of normal in your life. It's nice to have your kids go to bed at a certain time and wake up at a certain time so that you can have your time alone or with your partner. So, yeah. And I'm going to go on to number four, living arrangements. Now, this is kind of pretty, it's pretty broad, but I'm just going to limit it to where to live, where are the kind of places that you can live and where are you not open to living. And if you get a job or if I get a job, are we willing to relocate? And what are the parameters that will lead us to make that decision so is it going to be money is it going to be oh if it's this city then i'm fine we can go or if it's this place regardless of the money we're not going or that kind of conversation and then it's also nice to have the conversation of okay so if i'm looking for a different job or if you're looking for a different job are we open to take jobs that will cause us to travel often or to relocate and you know come to that agreement make that decision before you get to that bridge and then another another topic of discussion there is how do you feel about family and friends staying over or living with you so there is the staying over oh this person is here visiting for a few days or a week or whatever it is and then there is the oh this person needs a place to stay and will be with us for a couple of months or, you know, whatever duration it is. It's very important to talk about that together before it comes off. We never really had that conversation prior to getting married, but thankfully it goes back to Nathan's nature. If it happens that we have a friend who needs a place to stay or we have a couple of family who are coming into town and need a place to stay before they settle down he's always very open to having them come over he's very open to saying oh yeah sure they can stay in this room even in our two-bedroom apartment we still had people who came to stay when I think of my home and how I want my children to remember my home and how I want my friends or my family to remember my home is that I want them to always think of my home with warm feelings. Like, oh, this is a place where I felt welcome, I felt accepted, and I felt like I was a part of this family. Maybe saying a part of this family is being extreme, but maybe just a happy place. I want people to remember the laughter, the conversations, the food, the company, 
and just joy. I want people to think about my home and just have this nice, warm feeling of joy. And together we achieve that. So thankfully, without having to sit down and have a big conversation about it, it just happened that our feelings on that just aligned. Nate loves feeding people. It gives him so much joy to have people coming and enjoy a nice meal, cold bottle of beer and good conversation. There wasn't too much of a difference in that. But talk about it just so that you know before you get to that bridge. And then the last on the list, and definitely not the least, is sickness and end-of-life plans. So this past week, I got to talk to a guy who has been caring for his romantic partner for five years now. She's living with an illness, and it's a terminal illness. He has been her caregiver this for the past five years I cannot begin to imagine how financially emotionally physically mentally draining that must be for both of them because having that relationship dynamic change from romantic partner to caregiver must be difficult for both parties involved because as the sick one you you don't want your partner to keep looking at you as you know like a patient basically somebody that he has to care for and do all these things and for them they're probably or you might begin to think that they're being mechanical about the way they're doing things however for them it might just be the way they need to be in order to get the things that need to be done done i don't know if that's making sense but anyway caring for a sick partner is very difficult and it's something that people need to talk about. Then end of life plans. What I meant here is like, okay, one of you is going to die first. Well, my ideal, after I watched the notebook a couple of times with Nate, I told him like, that's my ideal way for us to die. To just hold each other's hands in a nursing home when we're so old and just like, just die together after living a full, happy life. So, but just in case that doesn't happen to you, you have to talk about, do you want to be cremated or do you want to be buried? For us, I think we chose cremation because we don't want our kids to have to spend any kind of money burying us and paying for the land. And like, we're dead, we're gone. Just cremate us. You can take the urn and remember us. Nate has said uh, where he wants his ashes spread. I don't really know where I want my spread yet, but I'm sure I'll figure that out at some point. But yeah, so do you want to donate your organs? Have you made that clear somewhere? Is there a clause to that? And then the next one was like life support. So if if for whatever reason you are dependent on life support, at what point should the other person pull the trigger? Oh no, that did, that did not come up well. <laughs> no, no, pull the trigger. Pull the plug, not the trigger. 
and how do they arrive at that decision that's something you need to talk about so yeah so that brings me to the end of this topic i hope that i've been able to give you something to think about and trigger conversations between you and your romantic partner as you talk about getting married or spending the rest of your lives together and yeah thank you for listening to today's episode i hope that you subscribe so that you can get notifications when new episodes are uploaded please send me an email at camcj at gmail.com with your questions your comments or just to say hi all right see you next time 